This is AM Rush. I'm your host, Alex Mitchell. Thursday, May 14th, some headlines out of AM New York Metro. Now over 80 children in New York City are suffering from an inflammatory disease that could be connected to coronavirus. In some way, the NHL is going to be full speed ahead and finish its season. That's what the commissioner said yesterday. And we're bringing on AM New York Metro digital editor Emily Davenport to talk about what to watch and a very cool interview she did with a cast member of Ozark. This is AM Rush. I'm Alex Mitchell. Let's get started with that story about 82 children in New York City who are now suffering from pediatric multisystem inflammatory syndrome, and that is believed to be linked to coronavirus. That's according to Mayor Bill de Blasio, who addressed this in a press conference on Wednesday. Out of the 82 cases, 53 tested positive for the novel coronavirus or antibodies linked to the disease, which suggests that these children contracted the virus and had then recovered. On May 12th, there were only 52 cases citywide. Now, the syndrome causes a high fever, rash, reddish-colored eyes, swollen lymph nodes, and intense abdominal pain, and has been compared to Kawasaki disease, which other children have contracted as well. And Mayor Bill de Blasio, once again, is encouraging parents to call doctors immediately or 311 if they're developing symptoms. Now, statewide, there are 102 cases of the syndrome. That's according to Governor Andrew Cuomo. And even if hell freezes over, the National Hockey League is going to continue its season. That's according to NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, who spoke at a virtual town hall hosted by the San Jose Sharks on Wednesday. Bettman said that canceling the season is, quote, not something I'm even contemplating. Now, the NHL has been shut down since March 12th because of coronavirus, with roughly 190 total games remaining on its regular season schedule. Now, little progress has been made when it comes to the revelation of a plan to get back on the ice. So far, proposals that have floated out into the hockey world include finishing the regular season to determine playoff standings or jumping straight into the postseason based on teams' point percentages or come back to an expanded playoff format, which would happen sometime in July or August. It is also unclear at the moment if play is going to happen in centralized locations or at home arenas without fans. Bettman went on to say, quote, I believe that if the right time comes and the right circumstances, based on all of the options that we're considering and our ability to execute them, we'll get this season done. So fingers crossed about that. I miss hockey. It'll be strange to watch game-winning overtime goal or a shootout victory without hearing ruckus cheering. I don't even want to imagine what hockey playoffs sound like without fans, but like AM New York Metro sports editor Joe Pantorno and I said on one of our shows, take what we can get and hopefully, hopefully this is coming to an end soon. But until it does, we're going to give you plenty of stuff to do indoors and shows to watch and how to get through quarantine. So now we're going to talk with AM New York Metro digital editor Emily Davenport about some really awesome shows going on right now. A few are nostalgic, 
and an interview that she had with a cast member from Ozark. So, Emily, we're going to go to you now. So, to keep the story a little bit spoiler-friendly, the article itself focused more about Jessica Francis Dukes and her journey to joining Ozark, which, coincidentally, she has quite the background in theater, which ultimately led her to performing off-Broadway in New York. And while she was in a production called, by the way, It's Vera Stark, she and her, uh, and she and her, like, team, uh, like, her agents and stuff like that thought that the role was so powerful, and she had always been such a fan of Ozark, the show, that they sent a pair of tickets to the Ozark casting director's office. Her name's Alexa Volo, and they sent someone to the show. At this time, we're not sure who they actually sent, if it was Alexa herself or someone from her team, but Jessica ended up with a audition for Ozark a week later. So it's really kind of an interesting situation where a fan got to join the TV series that she loved watching herself. What else did she tell you about anything upcoming? What kind of work that she prefers to do? Uh, it's hard to say for her. Like, she doesn't have much of a preference just because the like theater and screen acting are two completely different beasts. But she was ecstatic to be able to learn from some of the pros that are working on Ozark, not just... Uh, Jason Bateman and Laura Linney, who uh, she had obviously been a fan of from watching Ozark, but from the writers and directors, she ate up as much as she could every day on the set and loved every second of it. But in her heart, she is also a woman of the theater. And she got so much experience, mostly in the D.C. area where she was born and raised. And she got to really kind of hone her craft being a part of so many different theater companies. That sounds so cool. And like we said, I I know what we're binging this weekend. And speaking of binging, I like that we get to do this pretty much every week where we update our listeners on what's out there, what to watch, what to get sucked into. What other shows have you been diving into since we last talked? Well, we've, I've been diving into some of the classics, and by classics, I mean things that are not the newest uh, of television series. Uh, One thing that I've been diving into in particular on Netflix, since they've gotten the rights for streaming and it makes me so happy, is Community. Oh, man, that is a good show. I love this show. One of my best friends in college introduced me to this show. We binged most of it. I want to say, I can't remember if we got to the end of it, but he had like all the DVD sets. So we were just watching day in and day out. And then I had gone like pretty much years without having a way to watch the show. And now that it's on Netflix, I get to bring my boyfriend on the journey who has never, and he's never seen Netflix. He's never seen community before. So it's kind of like I get to rewatch it for the first time through his eyes. So do you want to know a cool connection that the show Community has to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Always. So the Russo brothers, who directed uh, some of the Captain America films and Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, 
they also worked on Community. So that's why you get a few cameos in Avengers Endgame, like Ken Jeong being the security guard when Scott Lang comes out of the Quantum Realm in San Francisco, and when you have Yvette Nicole Brown in the military base where Steve Rogers and Tony Stark go to get the rest of the pin particles, that was a direct nod to the work that they did on community actually. That is amazing. I remember seeing them there and I'm like, huh, that's great because I love those actors. I love a Nicole Brown, even back to the Drake and Josh days. Oh my God. And young is hilarious. Also just like a quick sidebar, his, Netflix special, You Complete Me Ho, worth watching. You know, it, like, add it to, if you're into stand-up comedy, add it to your list. If you're not into stand-up comedy and you just love Ken Jeong, do it. It's worth it. Just know, to see that connection is really interesting. You want to know something he's in that is kind of something you wouldn't expect him to be in? Yeah. He is in an ESPN 30 for 30 called I Hate Christian Leitner about the Duke basketball standout that managed to make the rest of the NCAA hate him. Now, Ken Jong went to Duke at the time, so he's one of the guys that they interview to talk about him. Wow. Well, small world. It really, I love when stuff like that comes full circle and you get much more of a vast perspective on actors when it's not like a situation where someone is only this role or this brand, like like they become more universal and just more widely, I don't know, I guess patroned people. Yeah, it becomes more of a household name. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm very glad that you brought up Drake and Josh, because if you didn't, I probably was going to today. I mean, come on, Helen. Helen. I want to love you feel you i wrap myself around you the drake and josh in one of my favorite episodes and of course helen ophelia dubois has her incredible role in that you know drake and josh is on hulu i've seen every and i mean every single episode of drake and josh this is one of those shows from my childhood like spongebob where i could just watch the show on mute and give you every upcoming line. Oh my god, it's just such a quotable show. It it really is. And do you have a favorite episode? Ooh, it's a tough call. I mean, one of my favorite episodes is kind of... I really do love the first episode where they're all kind of settling in with each other. And then Drake finds out that Josh is Miss Nancy. Hey Josh, you want to play basketball? <laughs> It's just such I, can <laughs> I can explain. I can explain. Oh man, and then that comes full circle a few seasons later when Walter Nichols is um, modeling the dress with grapefruits. Yeah. Like, oh um, my god! Like father, like, like son. It was just like it really was one of those perfect shows that you could just sit and it's funny. You know, it didn't try too hard, but it was just, you could tell there was a lot of effort put into the show, and it was just so funny. Yeah. I watched the Amanda show, just like everyone else did, and 
I'm really glad that they picked up Drake Bell and Josh Peck from there because and gave them their own light to shine. Because Amanda Bynes, really funny. These guys, also really funny, often outshined by Amanda Bynes, now gets their own time to shine. And it, and it made, like, this beautiful show baby that we 90s kids just kind of think back on and love, even though it really kind of came out in the thousands or 2004. We don't need to... We don't need to think about that part of it. <laughs> yeah, technically, it was technically a product of the 2000s, but it was intended for our generation of the mid-1990s born. born kids. Exactly. You know, for me, with Drake and Josh, and like you're saying about how it they started on the Amanda show, uh, there were so many funny skits, but the way that Drake and Josh ended before they tried doing the Merry Christmas Drake and Josh film was really big shrimp. And the last scene in that goes to the clip that in a way inspired the show that started from the Amanda show where they fight over the shrimp. And the fact that they ended it on such a coming full circle high note, like that was just such a feel good moment. Like it made you emotional in a way when you see that, you know, Drake and Josh, Drake Bell and Josh Peck, later Drake Parker and Josh Nichols, they've been through so much together on screen where you really felt like, in a way, these guys were brothers. It was such an epic callback that most people, especially seeing it today, if they were seeing it for the first time, wouldn't make sense to them. But for people who have seen the, the progression, it's like, oh, right. That to me, oh man. But going back to what you said about the first episode, not just that one, but the early episodes of Drake and Josh were some of the funniest ones out there. They really, really were. The early stuff in Drake and Josh was great. When Josh gets his first kiss and everyone's watching and he goes, oh dear Lord, thank you very much for my first kiss, amen. It's just like so, it's so relatable. It's like they were actually, it's like, what was happening for them, albeit ridiculous a lot of the time, some of it was just, like, so real. You're watching these kids do normal kid things, but it's also just a little bit outlandish because it's television. Yeah, I mean, when Drake accidentally marries a Eudonian uh, pen pal of Josh, even though Drake's the one that said, Ine kudasai unjago untaya, when the son was in the house of Carflog. The fact that you remember that it is. Uh, yeah, don't ask is impressive. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's one way to put it. <laughs> I may or may not have these discussions regularly with my friends, but... I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ashamed. I embrace it. I I embrace what yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, a universal moment, whether or not you remember the show detail by detail like I do the demonator oh my god the demonator USA 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 <laughs> oh my god that was just such a wild episode <laughs> you know what else what makes that episode and who I think are two of the best supporting roles in the entire series are Craig and Eric oh yeah without Craig and Eric I like it just changes up the whole dynamic. You guys owe me a new cell phone. 
I hope the people listening get this too, and when they hear these lines, they're taken back to middle school when they see that. I've been captured by two German nerds! <laughs> oh my god, I hope so. Oh man, that, that show, and it got a little different towards the end. Like, in the final season, when Josh well, runs over Oprah, and then there was... I think my favorite episode in that season. That and the one where they get trapped by the Rottweiler in the English teacher's home. <laughs> Mrs. Hafer. Yeah. Oh, man, we all have a Mrs. Hafer in our lives somehow. I know, but I, I love Mrs. Hafer just because she's like, oh, and Dre, yeah, I, I hate, hate you. you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, like I said, we, in all, somehow each of us has a Mrs. Hafer in our lives. I certainly know who mine is. They will remain nameless. But... Same. Agreed. <laughs> Oh, man. She was a great supporting role, too, even looking back when she gets her car stuck in the school. And Mindy Crenshaw tries to frame Drake and keeps reminding Josh that she beat him in the science fair because she cloned her own dog, even though he had a big magnet. Yeah. I mean, we knew they were going to end up together, didn't we? Like, we all knew watching that we're like that's gonna be a thing i think the most one of the most relatable parts of drake and josh came in their relationship when mindy tells josh she loves him for the first time and he responds with seeing chemistry slam i mean if you're a 15 16 year old kid and you hear that for the first time it's so jarring and you're just like what If you can even speak after that. Yeah. So that was that was a very humanizing moment to what they do. And in two moments, one moment I'm a big fan of, the other kind of got me emotionally and, and really kind of pulled on, on my heartstrings was when Josh kind of is done with Drake. Oh, yeah. He's like, I'm just done. Not mad. Not even upset or whatever. We're just roommates and I'm done. But the way that they come back together and the way that they reunite to me was, again, a very human way to do it. It wasn't like, I mean, Drake has his apology, but the way that they really, really kind of get back together as brothers is just going back to normal. Just like playing the ping pong. You have smashed the window of transparency. <laughs> it's just like such, like when to touch back to the Harry Potter conversation between Harry and Ron, it's just such a simple way of being like, we good, we good. Yeah. And like I said before on that, I can personally attest, it's how teenage boys make up. They just move on and, and they realize that something stupid should not ignite what is the flame of a beautiful friendship or relationship? And I guess that that was a little deep. But another cool moment that I loved on Drake and Josh was the episode where there's the huge rainstorm. And everyone is at Drake and Josh's house. And they yes. use power. Yes. And yes. Crazy Steve has Craig cranking the Dora the Explorer. Well, my arm is getting hot. Dora! <laughs> You're the one with the map. To 
Aurora! But when Helen teaches them uh, how to do the acapella of We Will Rock You. Oh my god, I still think about that scene. But that is so timeless, because even now, I mean, that was the mid-2000s when a BlackBerry was the most high-tech everyday device out there. Now, compared to that 15 years later, her message still rings true. You lose power or something. I mean, yeah, you could be on your phones or you could do something fun. Like there was a time when you didn't need tech. And again, I love tech. I'm using tech to record the show, but it's not, it's one element of what could be a beautiful world. So when they all start, what is it? The guys start going, and then the girls start going, and then, and then they all start singing like, yep, Helen gets them all started, moves on to Drake, moves on to the nerds, everyone sing along. <laughs> Such a great scene, huh? That was yeah, and and it's just and that's how they close out the episode. That to me was a really even as a kid like that got you. It's like wow, this is really really cool. Like there there's. Oh, that was that was a well done show because it was mature when it should be, and it was goofy all the other time, but in the best of ways. And again, I always like when stories have a moral compass to them, and you see that with Drake and Josh that they more than anything help make one another better people. Absolutely. You know, mostly through Josh's maturity and responsibility and Drake's freeloading, but still, it was like a 90 10 split. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. It worked somehow. Oh, gosh. I, but yeah, Drake and Josh is on Hulu. And if you can't tell, it's something we're pretty darn passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> What, um, before we talk about other shows, are there any other Drake and Josh moments that you think are worth mentioning right now? Uh, another one that I loved back in the day, another season one episode was when they were babysitting, like, I think it was Josh's boss's kid, oh, and it was yeah. this baby, and they thought they lost the baby on the roof. The baby won't say polo. No. <laughs> the baby is just... The baby's on the roof! It's like somehow, it's just so ridiculous. It was just, it's one of my favorite episodes to go back to. That episode was great. I think my favorite season was like in between seasons two and three, when you have like the Bet, the Peruvian Puff Pepper. Yes. I love the Bet. It just like, Every time in this in the episode where Megan is writing out the contract and they're like, loser dies? Loser has to die. What? And then she's like, ugh, flips the page over. Their yeah, hair. hair pink. And oh. they're just like, oh, all right. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of that is when Josh turns the room into like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory for Drake. Oh my god. Chocolate milk! Chocolate cup! Oh my god, that was just like overall impressive. And just where they both cave like that, in front of each other, then fighting over who came first. It was like, doesn't matter. You guys 
both are the worst. You oh. both caved, dye your hair pink. Gosh. Oh, and you know what I just remembered? Um, the episode when they're stuck in Mrs. Hafer's bathroom. The dog's name, Tiberius. Yeah. It was such a great show. Oh, I think one of my favorite episodes, I was just reminded of this, when Josh plays football. Oh, yeah. Hey, who are you kids? What are you doing in my chocolate factory? With Zeke Braxton, the janitor? Yeah. Right, and there's like, I... <laughs> You kids owe me 10,000 bucks. <laughs> oh. oh, Drake and Josh, what a show. So, tell me, what else have you been watching? Another show that I've been watching on Netflix, which is really kind of a quick binge if you're looking for something that's funny, animated, and short, is a series on Netflix called Tuca and Bernie. I don't know if you've ever heard of this series before, but it was just... It's actually really funny. It's in the vein of BoJack Horseman in the sense that there are people... or quote-unquote people that are animals in this world, but they're birds. Ooh. And it's basically kind of just about two best friend birds, Tuga and Birdie, that are 30-somethings living in a New York City-esque kind of city. And they're trying to navigate their friendship while living in the same apartment building because they were, up until the start of the series, which, you know, before, they were roommates, but then Birdie decides she's going to move in with her boyfriend, and Tuca needs to move out. And so they start to navigate life separate because up until that point, they would lean on each other for everything. They were best friends. They did everything together. And you have Tuca, who's just like this free-spirited toucan and is cocky and loud and ridiculous. And then you have Birdie, who's just like kind of anxious, kind of shy, kind of just this daydreamer kind of a bird and how they navigate life apart from each other, changing careers and things like that. It's only one season, which I think, and apparently the internet thinks was, just like a horrible decision to cancel the show. I thought it was really good. Oh, man. So- and it's got Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong as the voices of Tuka and Bernie. So you get some really good voice action in there. So I would highly recommend if you're looking for something. It's only 10 episodes, I think. So it's a really quick show. But it really kind of di- bring can be a gateway bringing you into animated series on Netflix. Of course. And then when you look at that, the pinnacle kind of of animated series on Netflix is Big Mouth. Oh, Big Mouth. Yeah. It's a little extreme. I had time. to stop for some reasons that made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> so I had to, there's just too many naked children for my liking. Yeah, they, a, they push it with that. They really, uh, but it's really funny and it's like really, it goes there as far as like sex, the sex education goes in that vein. Like I would have loved to have had something like big mouth when I was that age because you know how it goes. It's not easy to learn about that kind of stuff. No, no, it isn't. I mine came from a mix of Futurama and Family Guy, mostly, which, yeah, in hindsight, yeah. not exactly the most accurate route to take when looking for yeah. information on growing up. 
Agreed. I had the same issues with the same shows. Yep. Oh, man. But uh, but those are also two shows that are streaming in the animation sphere. I, I've talked about this. I was a big fan of pre-canceled Family Guy, which are the first three seasons. Like I when, did. I agree. Those were some, that was like some peak Family Guy in there. Like when Peter was a fisherman. Like, like those episodes are when he worked in the toy factory. And a character that I wanted to see more of was Death. I liked Death. Yeah, we don't get nearly as much death in these later series. I guess they killed him off. Uh, what? Oh, come on. Oh, what? Yeah, that, that was. <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, I definitely agree with you. Those earlier seasons, if anyone hasn't seen them, I think they're worth a watch. Like, the animation quality isn't quite where it is now for obvious reasons, but... It's like some of the jokes are like genuinely heartfelt and funny. It felt more like a sitcom, but in cartoon form. It was just kind of like a a more adult sitcom, if that makes sense. Yeah, and like you're saying about the quality of the animation, especially now, and maybe that's what I particularly appreciate about it. It gave it that nostalgia feel. You were oh, watching yeah. something old. You're watching something that you can't get now. And when you watch Brand New Family Guy, you're almost taken back by the hyper quality of the animation. Yeah, it's come like a really long way. I just have a hard time with the newer episodes because I just don't think they're as funny as what was originally made. They're definitely not as funny. And, you know, part of that is, well, they could just kind of try to repeat ideas they've done in the past. You know, you're bound to hit that, I guess, speed bump when you've done so much. Yeah. Eventually, not that you're going to run out of ideas, but there's almost no way to do it without being derivative of your past. So it's also a nod to how good the show has been, that they're starting to run out of fuel, I guess. Absolutely. Like, I don't get how Seth MacFarlane keeps coming up with stuff in his brain like that. But it's kind of showing that it's kind of running out of steam a little bit. At least for Family Guy. I haven't been up to date on American Dad lately, but... American Dad, when... So, my theory is that when the Cleveland show was canceled, the team that worked on Cleveland show, for the most part, went to American Dad, and that's when that show really became something hilarious. But Seth MacFarlane has another show that he did with Fox, a live-action one that he's actually in, and I'm a big fan of it, and it's on Hulu, is The Orville. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, I've heard about that. That is a... That has the feel of old Family Guy, but for Star Trek, where it's not just, like, a sitcom for with more adult content. It was, like, Star Trek with comedy and adult content mixed in. And... Again, there there was a, something, there was substance to it. It wasn't just shallow surface humor and jokes. Like, there were legitimate running plot lines, and if you tweaked things, this could be a really cool dramatic space adventure. So that's a show I recommend. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that, and I think Bordas and Isaac are probably my two favorite characters on the ship. They're really funny. The Mocklin digestive system gets me every time. 
But yeah, that's that's definitely one to keep an eye out for. And I don't know. For me, it's also just something to really unwind on. And something I admire about McFarlane, what he does in all of his shows and his movies, even in Ted 1 and Ted 2 he does this, is his use of classical music and classical scoring. And the way that the Orville is scored, it really feels like like a Star Trek-esque space adventure. It, it's really, really well done. I'm a fan of it. This kind of makes me wonder if he's putting out like this really great material on these other shows... That, like, is he just still doing Family Guy because, like, it's just so routine at this point? Like, do the numbers reflect that people actually want to watch this new? Or are people just loyal to the show and so he's building the show for people who are still loyal to the original Family Guy? I think people are creatures of habits. I mean, I still watch the new episodes hoping to get something good, but... Yeah, it's been a while since I saw an episode of Family Guy where I'm like, I want to see that again. I want to I want to go back and rewatch this. To me, I think it was like seasons 7, 8, 9 were pinnacle Family Guy. Yeah. And I my favorite episode is when they try to track down the joke and they oh, end up going right. to the island Like, that time period for Family Guy, I think that's when you were getting the highest quality episodes. Those were some good episodes. Yeah, they they certainly were. Is there anything else you've been watching? Staying in the vein of animated things, been watching a lot of Epis for Family lately on Netflix. Uh, Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it yet. Tell me about it. It's really funny. It's set back in the 1970s, and it's created by Bill Burr, who I just love as a comedian. I love his voice. I love his love his stand-up. And it centers around this guy named Frank Murphy, who is a just a hot-headed dad who was a war vet who's living in the suburbs in, on a cul-de-sac with his wife and three kids. And all of his kids are just sort of like delinquents. And he's really like conservative. And it's kind of funny to watch him get mad at his neighbor who seems to be living loose and free, all like very liberally and all that. that. And then just watching things unfold as would be in the seventies it's just kind of gives you like nostalgia for kind of like not necessarily like the old American values, but just the old American like art styles of things or how, like how cars used to look and how gaudy everything looked. And the vintage feel to it. Yeah. It just gives you kind of like a nostalgic feel for the seventies in almost in the vein of that 70s show, except there's not nearly as much. Fun. <laughs> Oh man, that '70s show that takes me back too. That was, that was like you come home from school, you drop your backpack, and it's on. I have seen so much of that show. <laughs> I haven't seen it in so long, but it definitely was one of those like after-school shows for me that I could go back and rewatch, no problem. You know about that '80s show? I don't. 
and Good. now I'm kind of afraid to know about it. Good. It was uh, something short-lived that was supposed to be with, I believe it was a fully separate cast and, mm. uh, you know, a fully separate storyline, but they tried doing 70s show for the 80s. And, uh... Eh, it just doesn't seem like it would work. Not necessarily that the 80s weren't as interesting as the 70s or anything like that, but to follow up with something that was as monumental as that 70s show that with a that's 80 show i just don't see it being successful and i'm guessing it wasn't no and that's why you haven't heard of it um, yeah. a very short-lived actually when family guy got uncanceled and they came back they actually poked fun not just at that's 80 show but all of the other canceled fox shows that needed to be off the air in order for family guy to come back and that was one of them I mean, they had to. They absolutely had to. Of course, and Futurama did the same thing. That was, in my opinion, canceling Futurama was probably one of the most boneheaded decisions made about an animated TV show ever. Yeah, I just feel like it probably could have lasted longer than it did. I mean, when they cancel stuff like that, it's like I want to believe they want to end on a high, but usually that's not the case. Yeah. No, I, yeah, you're, you're so right about that. And I think one of my favorite parts of Futurama was hearing two things that Farnsworth would say. Good news, everyone. <laughs> and whenever uh, he would be in the scientific community and he'd see Warnstrom, Warnstrom. Oh my God. Can I just say like the episode where Fry finds his dog, that episode uh, still breaks my heart. <laughs> The one that gets me, the one with Seymour, that is that pulls again on on the mo- emotional strings of your heart. To me, his brother Yancey, that one got me. That Oof. one really got me. The, yeah, uh, I believe it was Luck of the Fryrish. I mean, yeah. If you haven't seen Futurama at this point, watch Futurama. It's really, it's just so good. Again, and Matt Gronick has a has a history of doing this with The Simpsons. There are there are two tiers. There is the shallow. It's like a pool. You have the shallow end and you have the deep end. It's not one or the other. You have the goofy surface simplistic humor, and then beneath that, you get some really, really intense and emotionally conveying storylines. I mean, look at Leela. If you were to take the characters of Futurama and make it a dramatic role or a dramatic series, you easily could. A Man Out of Time, which I guess the Avengers did with Captain America, Leela being orphaned, having no family. There are so many, like, that could be a drama if you wanted to play it that way. And then you have the arrogant Captain Zep Brannigan. You could easily be like the greatest anti-hero ever. Oh, Zap was Zap was a great idiot. He was a great idiotic character. I want some champagne. <laughs> Kiff, what is the most demeaning and disgraceful job in the army? Being your assistant? No, being your assistant. <laughs> 
Oh, it just, gosh, uh, these shows just take you back. Oh, for sure. Just the days of turn on Comedy Central, just watch it until something else came on that I wasn't interested in. And then you flip over or actually get out of the house and do something. What a concept, getting out of the house and doing something. Yeah, I, I miss that. I'm sure you do too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But in the meantime, we are here to provide the people with all the ways that they can just bum out and get through this. And we've given them some real-life shows. We, we focus mostly on the genre, besides Ozark, on funnier stuff. But right now, I think people need a good laugh. I know Absolutely. I like, I keep turning to comedy, to comedy specials on Netflix to just try to find some joy. And some of them have been pretty good. Like, Ken Jeong's uh, You Complete Me Hope. That one's really funny. Like, behind-the-scenes stories of, like, The Hangover and Crazy Rich Asians and all going from his background as a doctor to how he is now. It was such a good special. And it's really funny. A comedy special that I love, and I mean I really love, or not just one, but the comedian more, anything with Sebastian Maniscalco. Just oh, makes me crack yeah. up. And if you're from an Italian family, like, you get it. You get what he's saying on a spiritual level. Yeah. <laughs> it just, like, makes so much sense. And you're like me. You're from Long Island. So even if you're not Italian, somehow you're Italian by association. That's just comes with the territory. Same thing with New York. No matter what ethnicity you are, there's a splash of Italian in there just by association. When you breathe the air, you become Italian. It just happens to be. And, like, I come from an Italian-Irish family, so it get, I ended up getting, like, extra Italian breeds on every time. Same here. 50-50. Half on each side. And But it's not really half. You know that there's just... Oh. It's some stuff. Yeah. It, uh... Some stuff in there they don't talk about it but it's there of course i mean it's... like whatever the one that gets like kind of embellished on the most in your family is whoever makes the food mm-hmm. and in my case it was my italian irish mother who had an italian mother and so the italian is what comes through in our family and so when anything italian comes up we're like hey there it is that's why we love everybody loves raymond so much is because part of the Italian nonsense that happens in that family. I've talked about this on my other shows. I am highly convinced, highly convinced that that show is based on my upbringing. I really am. A writer from Long Island with an overprotective Italian mother seems a little too good to be true, doesn't it? It 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 sounds like it could be your life, dude. Yep, and uh, fun place to be quarantined with your parents. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. It could be a lot worse. I'm happy it they're could. healthy. Everything else is uh, arbitrary. Oh, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, not the end of the world. No, it isn't. Close. A, a semi-apocalyptic, but definitely <laughs> not. Not quite. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. It, it, again, could be worse. I'm happy everyone's healthy. Would not mind going out for a pizza anytime soon, but I understand. I get it. There's bigger things. There's bigger 
perspectives to view this whole thing from. Absolutely. But yeah, and to kind of conclude, this is a British comedy that I always like to peddle and push every time I go on the air. If you're looking for something just that will downright make you laugh, not even make you think. It will make you think if you watch it enough, but if you just want to laugh and see well-done dialogue and great, raunchy comedy, The Inbetweeners on Netflix, the best British shows ever, coming of age, four goofy teenage boys, it will make you chuckle, it will make you... It's just so good. It is on my list. I will get to it eventually. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we have quite the list, and I understand it's going to take each of us. You know, this assignment isn't due next Tuesday or the next time we uh, reconvene for a show. But yeah, I promise I will be watching everything that you've been recommending to. Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you for coming on. And um, one last show, what would you pick? Ooh, one last show, I'd probably pick uh, My Hero Academia, oh, which, which, for those who aren't familiar, is an anime about kids going to a superhero high school, which, is, and a lot of them have what they, in the series, they call quirks, which are their superpowers, and about 80% of the population is born with a quirk, and the other 20%, it might be smaller, I can't remember, are born corkless, and it follows the journey of this one boy, Zuko Midoriya, who was initially born corkless, but is taken under by one of one of the all-time heroes in the universe named All Might, and just watching the journey of him and his students go and his the classmates and all the other superheroes going through training and learning and actually fighting villains, even though they are actual, like, 15-year-old kids. It is one to watch, for sure. And you can find that, I'm pretty sure it's on Crunchyroll. I know for a while it was on Netflix. Was it taken off? I'm not sure. I don't normally watch it on Netflix, so I didn't see it there. But it could be. Well, it's definitely out there, and it is... A great anime, an anime that I've been watching and keeping up with is One Punch Man. Have you seen that? I've seen a little bit of One Punch Man. That show, I just, I love the nature of Saitama. And I don't want to give it away too much, but pretty much the long and short of it is that he couldn't lose a fight if he tried. And that is where the name One Punch Man comes because in almost every one of his bouts, he's able to defeat his enemy with one punch. And it's just so interesting to see that a hero with so much strength and so much might, how it isn't just an idealistic world and an opportune world and how for pretty much the entire first season, no one even recognizes him for his strength because he's, he's put at the bottom of the barrel and he doesn't seem to have the attitude, the mentality, and he's a quote hero for fun. That is, again, this is a show that, really knows how to mix fun and silliness with a really great plot that kind of, it's like quicksand. You don't know it, but all of a sudden you're kind of sinking in and you realize that there's more 
layers and elements to what's going on. So if you have the time, it's only two seasons. It's like you were saying about your show about the birds. It's pretty quick. You can get through it in a weekend. Might be a good way to start. Oh, yeah. Well, Emily, we're going to be doing this again next week. Thank you for coming on once again. That's so awesome that you were able to interview some of the cast from Ozark. Good luck this weekend. Hopefully you can get outside in nice weather while doing it safely and appropriately. And I'll be seeing you soon. Back at you. And that was AM Rush. Again, I'm Alex Mitchell. You got plenty of stuff to start catching up on New York. So start washing. Remember... Remember to hang tough one day at a time. Do what you can to make it okay. And watching some good old throwbacks, new TV shows, whatever, makes you laugh, makes you feel, just transports you to another place, so be it. That's all allowed. Anyway, New York, wash your hands.